why don't we pray? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us. It's light for our path. It is food for our soul. And we know, Lord, that as we take that path and as we drink and eat of you, uh, we do so only by the power of your spirit who is with us. So come, Holy Spirit, we give you the room as we gather around your word this morning. Amen and amen. Um, It's really great to have uh, witnessed and been a part of the prayers this morning. Um, It's a great joy to have connected with a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters who are called to Upperthorpe and Netherthorpe and live in and amongst our community. Um, and, uh, And... Part of as we move forward as a church is to see how we can partner uh, with this community and to see how uh, the Lord will be at work in our midst. Um, so I just want to say that before we begin. Um, but as we get into thinking about what today is, um, Jill and I have just been down south. We drove down to Berkshire and back <laughs> over the last couple of days, and that gives a, a bit of time to uh, relax on the M1 and to think about things. And, uh, um, and like many of us, I've been reflecting on the impact of COVID uh, and this pandemic season. And of course, COVID has impacted us physically, financially, and socially. And we've all got tired, I think, about thinking about that. Um, but it's also impacted us spiritually. And one of the things that I'm hearing in my own inner life as I ponder these things, and, and it comes up in the conversations around me as well, is a sense that what a lot of us are feeling in this moment is that we have this feeling of being stuck in some ways and also being unseen, of being caught up in the powers that be, washed backwards and forwards with currents that we can't control and wondering if in the scheme of things uh, we actually matter at all. And there's an understanding That's understandable in some ways because the nature of COVID has been to be like that. It's mysterious, it's uncontrollable, and in order to manage it, we have had to, as individuals, with our own desires and ambitions and longings, we've had to consider ourselves more as cohorts and regions and groups of people who may or may not qualify for a vaccine based on certain impersonal criteria, we've had to become a bit more managed as a herd, if that makes sense. And and I think that buys into perhaps a deeper insecurity as we start imagining what the world might be like, because our society was tending to manage our population as a herd, even before COVID. And, and we know what it's like that if we want to push forward in a, in a sense of purpose or joy, we end up running into a situation where we are simply regulated, confined and shaped by blind impersonal forms that we have to fill out. I, I remember when I was a student and uh, I had the joy of being the student representative on the Faculty of Computer Science for about six months. And I realized in that meeting, and I had this little, little moment when I realized that in that context, I was not a person. I was not even a student. I was 0.5 of an EFTSU, an effective full-time student unit. And often, as we enter into the world, we realize that we're managed not as people, but as units. 
I remember thinking to myself, that's not real, that's not me, that's just bureaucratic forms, that's not the substance of my life. And I wonder how all that may be amplified right now where we feel unseen and stuck, defined by things that don't seem about us, our bank balance, our education, and we even have this powerful new word these days where we talk about othering, where we're put in a box put in a category where we can be ignored or diminished. And even in the church world, it can be, uh, we can lose hold of the substance of reality and devote ourselves to the mere forms of being church, marketing strategies, impersonal techniques that lurch us from Sunday to Sunday while we divide ourselves up into manageable spiritual specialities. And I wonder perhaps, as we deal with that, with the sense of being unseen and stuck, if we assume that that is how God deals with us. We might believe in him and agree with him, just like we might believe in, respect and agree with the faceless government department when they do its job and send us the right form at the right time. But because this is God, sometimes we wonder if that's how he deals with us. Perhaps sometimes, should providence allow, we might acknowledge that God might use us. Perhaps like an instrument of state, we ourselves might be put aside, but we'll do our spiritual civil duty and then relax back into the impersonal forms of the Christian life. God is aloof and out there. We acknowledge him, but we remain stuck and unseen in our spirit. I don't know about you, maybe I'm over-egging this, but I hope you can see my points. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, in the middle of looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we heard Jesus' teaching. And one of the things that we grasped hold of in that is that his exhortation wasn't to come saying, comply, comply, comply. His exhortation to the people was, ask, seek, knock, chase, pursue, seek me, find me. And at that time, a couple of weeks ago, we began to muse about having a summer of substantial dreams. So that as we rebuild what church might be and what our life might be, we're not sort of running into a frantic season of duty-bound doing, but we're relaxing into a time and to imagine and delight individually and together in God's call. And I still think that's something we should be doing. The posture we need to take over the next few months is to invest in being joyfully rather than doing, doing, doing. And in our worship, therefore, over the next six weeks, uh, next few weeks, we're, we're going to design and, and shape the around uh, the, the, a warmer way of doing life. And uh, if you can put that slide up, guys, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at six practices, uh, six aspects of a way of life that hopefully moves us away from being bound to simple forms, but instead takes us to something deeper and something substantial. I've unashamedly stolen these from Pete Gregg's Order of the Mustard Seed as they form a, a dispersed monastic community around these things. Just quickly, we're going to look at what it means to live prayerfully, celebrate creativity, 
practice hospitality, express God's mercy and justice, engage mission and evangelism, learn a disciple, learning a discipleship, which we'll touch on today. And, and, and they're not there to go, oh, here are all the things we can do. They're there to inspire the ways in which we can rest in God and be. And in fact, you could probably, the order of the mustard seed sums these up with three phrases. You can package these up into three sets of two. We're about being true to Christ, kind to people, and taking the Gospels to the nations. So that's what we're going to be looking at, just to give you an overview. Today, I just want to touch on this sense of learning and discipleship but not in a way that makes us unseen and stuck. And the beauty of that is that we can take today, we can take what do we mean by living lives of discipleship and bring it to our celebration of Pentecost. Because Pentecost lends itself to dreams and substance of being walking with God. And we've already heard today uh, some of the story of Pentecost, uh, uh, the, the, the sound of wind, the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit coming, people speaking in languages that can be heard across the world. And following that, what we heard in our reading was what Peter does to explain what's going on. He says, fellow Jews, he says, listen to me, uh, let me explain this to you. And moved by the Holy Spirit, what he does is he unsticks their heart by pointing them to a promise of God come true. He takes us to the prophet Joel and he says, In these last days I will pour out my spirit on all your people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Pause and think about that for a moment. In a context where we may feel stuck and unseen, what is being promised here? is this moment where rather than looking forward with despair or bitterness or weariness or of being unseen, there's a declaration of hope being made real. The promise is of sons and daughters prophesying, of young people speaking truth, of young adults having a vision for the future. Young men will see visions. Young adults will look forward with delight rather than with a sense of despair that we often see. And of us oldies being able to dream dreams of what might be without languishing into cynicism and regret. And boy, am I preaching to myself right now. And the thing is, Peter here is putting forward this prophecy, not as some abstract dream, but he's pointing to the Spirit of God and says, now is the time for that. Here is the tangible presence of God. This great and glorious day of the Lord, he says, is not some far-off imagining. It's a day that has just begun. Now, in some ways, it's not a day that's finished. We still wait for our Lord to return, but we're living in this day of Pentecost. This promise of Joel has come about. So here is a present day which is not just for postulating or pondering or even wondering about how God is active in this world, but it's a day in which to witness it, to witness to the wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below, as he says. Here is the present day where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And of course, Peter is speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters and he draws them to the deep roots of their spiritual heritage. And he talks about salvation in terms of how they will see the promises of God, not just coming to individuals to save them from their immorality, but to the whole world to save it from its corruption and to bring it into newness of life. And no wonder as he's explaining this, they're drawing on the depths of the substance of who they are. And as their eyes are opened, they cry out and they say, but what shall we do then? And Peter's exhortation is clear. He says, turn to it. Embrace this promise. Repent of being in the stuckness and the unseenness and the brokenness of who you are. Be immersed into what the Lord is promising to you. Be baptised and soaked and sodden and undone and remade with the name and the character and identity of your Messiah. And in this clear exhortation, what you see Peter doing is he's saying, do now what I did with Jesus. When Jesus said, come follow me, and I followed him, now the Spirit of the Lord is here calling you to follow him. Fellow Jews, follow him and be his disciple. He was with us physically, limited to time and place, and now he is with us spiritually. We can all heed his call and come follow him. Brothers and sisters, repent and believe, and you too will receive this gift of God's presence with you. The presence of Jesus saying, come follow me, live for me now. Which is to say, you can respond now and have this life of discipleship in the presence of the author of life. Remember how Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always at his ascension. Remember how he, had, he promised to send his spirit as a counsellor, as a comforter, to be to them what he had been to them, be to them in the future, what he had been to them in the present. Remember how he had said to them, It's good that I go away so that I might send an advocate who can be with you more absolutely, more universally than I can in the body, so that, I, that the Spirit can lead you on a walk of learning and a journey of discovery and a, have a place of practice and rebuke and encouragement and purpose and all that we see that Jesus did with, does with his disciples. Well, now the Spirit of Jesus is here and you can also walk with him and follow him. Brother and sister Jews, Peter says, this is who we are. This is who we're called to be. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit for you and for your children. And more than that, in this passage is one of those beautiful places where you and I are in the Bible. Literally, it's writing about us. Peter says, this gift, this promise of the Spirit of Jesus with you is not just for you, my brother's Jews, brother Jews, it says, it's also for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We are far off from the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years later and halfway around the world from where it happened. But the Lord our God has called us. Has the Lord called us? Are we his church gathered together? Are we his meeting in his name? then here we are, in the Bible, promised with the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, given the same message. What then shall we do, called by God, here in this place? Peter says it. Repent. 
Turn to it. Turn to this promise. Be baptised. Be immersed in this life handing over faith in Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is our story. This is our truth. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. Which brings us back to our present moment. Here we are at the end of COVID. We live in a world in which we often feel unseen and we feel stuck. We are washed backwards and forwards by a culture, sometimes even by a church culture, in which we are each just part of an anonymous herd. And I wonder if right now Peter's final exhortation in the reading that we had is something we can hear. Acts tells us that Peter's explanation turned into a warning. He he says, with many other words, he warned them about what this might mean and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And I wonder how that might be heard by we who are far off, given the Holy Spirit. As the new normal reappears, we can imagine him warning us away from the injustices in society. We can imagine him warning us away from movements and worldviews that would turn our hearts around to being devoted to self rather than anything else. He's warning us away from simple lies and manipulation and greeds and cruelties. Maybe save yourselves from this corrupt generation means something like, my people, leave the herd. Live for me. And in fact, if the Lord has indeed called us, we could and should spend our time immersing ourselves in the teachings of Jesus. After all, that's what he commanded at the day of his ascension, go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've taught you. But the foundation of that is much deeper. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, because that's who we are called to be, if we are are to be apprentices of the way of Christ, as some people are saying and calling themselves, if our lives and our families and our households and our community and our churches is to be all about the following of Jesus, a life of discipleship and learning, then it begins not in frantic attempts to fight and strive, but in receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. God calls on us. God's call on us begins in the gift of himself, an invitation to meet him, to know him and to be known by him. Jesus talked about the God who knows the number of hairs on your head. The God who says you are not unseen. You are not stuck in the herd. You are his. And the fact that this is the case, that he can call you by name in the midst of millions of other brothers and sisters is actually one of the miracles and mysteries of what it means to have the Holy Spirit. He is present to us, not just as some omnipresent deity, but manifestly present, personally present. Our walk with him, our worship of him, our shared call to be his disciples is with him, which means we matter. Because miracle of miracles, he actually does love us. And what we do moves him. A life of discipleship is uninspiring, perhaps even harmful, if we conceive of it as a university course where we chase after a disinterested God trying to keep up with him. And he is, at best, we think of him as like an exam invigilator. We move forward in that dynamic, we'll end up being defensive and self-serving. 
but a life led knowing that what we do has the power to move the Spirit of Almighty God, that what we might do might grieve Him or delight Him, to understand that He desires us and weeps when we harden our heart and is jealous for us, angered by those who harm His little ones and full of grace and forgiveness to those who fall into His arms. Well, that is like what it was like to walk with Jesus. And if we think, if we think we, he sends us out into mission as if he's sending um, minions out as cannon fodder into no man's land, charged with a duty and left on our own, then we will act as if we're stuck and frantic and unseen. But if we know that in, in this present he is here as our counsellor, lifting up our arms, empowering us to live as he lived, then we will know his joy even if the circumstances are hard. We will know that he is with us right now in our worship, in our adoration. We move the heart of God as we live for him. The worship of our lives, our actions, our choices, our priorities, they matter to him. As we look ahead, I think it's clear that there are going to be things in the months of the years that are not going to be easy. And so we will need this time this summer of simply being with him and understanding how much he loves us. I'm going to leave it there. I know we've all got plans for our life, thoughts about church, what the new normal might be, but here is where it begins. Over the next little while, we will run into our own brokenness. We'll run into the things that we'll need to fix. And who knows what church looks like? We've, none of us have ever done this before. But that's what following Jesus means. Not to know the path, but to know the one you're walking with. And to hear what he has to say as he teaches along the way. So right now, in this summer, in this moment, let's invite his Holy Spirit to be the substance of our lives, at the core of our being, at the, the, the thing that our households orbit around. Let's not be frantic but focused on him, serving one another simply to help each other see him. I really am going to be quiet because I want us to pray as we play a song. It's a song in which we invite the Holy Spirit. There was a song at the beginning that said, Come Holy Spirit, we give you the room. So play on words. We give you the room as in the room we're in, but also we give you the room. We create room in our hearts. Here is one in which we also invite the Holy Spirit. So as we sing this at home or as we here and move in this place. Let's use this as a time to trust God and to invite him in. Come Holy Spirit, we give you the room. Amen.